Welcome to the Culture of Agriculture, brought to you by Sputnik Equipment. So, uh, next thing on our list here is water quality. It's like, I know water quality is getting to be a bigger problem, especially with the way food safety is going, because you got to test all your stuff all the time and make sure that it's safe for your uh, food safety program and whatnot. Is there, what are you seeing this helping try push towards a better water quality, safer water. Any changes there? What are the methods that people are using now? Are you seeing anything? Well, every year with the gap audits, mm -hmm. all the wells are uh, tested for... Potability. Yeah, yeah. potability. Yeah, um, all the coliforming, coli testing, all that stuff, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 What about guys that are having to pull more surface water? Are they trying anything different, or do you deal with many guys that are doing surface water irrigation? Oh, there's a lot of surface water irrigation. I don't, I don't know of them pulling yeah, don't samples know any in extra, particular. Yeah, no real extra sampling going on there. Yeah, most of, most of the gap sampling I think takes place on deep, on deep wells and, yeah. and wells at cellars and things like that that are where that water is actually going on the, the finished. What about and do you work with anybody who's pulling off of rivers or out of lakes or anything? Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're not having to worry much about their water samples on those? Or at least that you know of, anyway? Don't know as much about those, okay. I guess. Well, you still have to sample it yeah. for the gap. Like, I think surface water, it's still like two or three times, but yep. it's going to come back with whatever in it. But as long as it's consistent and, I don't know, I mean... What would you rather drink out of the well water or the river water right now, too? <laughs> but when you're putting the river water on the crop just as much as anything else, and there aren't any problems, but I think you're just fine. You know what? I mean? How much of yours is well versus river? I don't know if we're quite half and half, but we're probably 60 to 70 well versus the rest of it, like river and canal. And is there anything you do to try and make sure your water out of the river's safe, I guess? I, well, that was the one thing, like... Because I had to do the gap thing too, but all I mean, all you could really do, at least for me, was put screens in before your pumps. Yes, yeah. yeah. Just make sure there's no dead light. I mean, that's what part of that gap thing is. Make sure you don't have a dead animal floating right by above the canal or something hanging in there, which is nasty and disgusting anyway. But yeah, just make sure you have screens that keep it clean and you have flowing. I mean, the river's flowing, your canals are always flowing, so they come in and come out. So it's not like you're in a stagnant pool of water you're pumping out of, and for the most part, and so. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clean and it's safe, and I think that's the point of the gap is to make sure that, at the end result, the consumers are safe and which it is, and so that's what it shows. But I think a lot of the problem you guys probably face too is like if you have hard water, or if you have salinity, is the big thing that we're yeah. we're battling right now. Um, and we've seen in these drought conditions, we saw fields last year that have typically not had much of a salt issue, um, have really really reared its head last year in these drought drought conditions um it's starting to build up because it can't push it through as much yeah yeah we're we're seeing wells with excess excessively high um, bicarbonate levels um sodium levels that are through the roof in some areas um and and that that is going to present challenges not only this year but in the years to come in places that aren't already doing things to mitigate for those problems so what do you recommend to try and help mitigate those problems there's a challenge for this year. More yeah. Water. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the biggest, the best way to do that is just more water yeah. to help right. push it all through. But when there's not more water, what can you do? There are products that that help, but again, the challenge with those products is they move that salt layer with the wetting front of the 
in the soil. And so you, you can push those salt levels down and get them out of the root zone, but you have to be able to hold them down. So at the end, of, the end result is it's still water is the answer. Uh, and if that water has already has a salt load in it, you know, you might be talking, if you need to mitigate a salt problem in a field, you might be talking acre feet of water in order to do that, just to get rid of the salt load. <clears throat> so in, in drought conditions, deep well pivots are just going to progressively get higher and higher salt contents until you can't grow potatoes. And we've seen it. We've seen uh, quite a few fields that are are not able to grow potatoes or they've take the, taken the pivots off and put wheel lines or something like that back on where they can manage the salts a little better. Because the wheel lines will irrigate heavier because of how you have to water with them. Mm-hmm. What about different crop rotations to help try and pull that salt back out? Have you recommended that at all? Is anybody trying to work with that? I know it's not like a one size fits all, right? Because not every crop uses the built, whatever built up salt is there, but is there anything that can help that or help penetrate that hard pan that's starting to form because of the salt just building up at that level? The tillage is always an option to, to break those deep pans and then water to push through it. If you're removing the crop, in the case of alfalfa or corn silage, you're going mm-hmm. to take a certain amount of, of sodium or you know, other salt with yeah. and it's going to leave that field. Does it really move the needle on uh, on the on solidity the or sedicity in the in the Field, not a lot. Uh, alfalfa can open up that, you know, with, with deep roots can open up the profile so that those salts will move down. You can use products like calcium sulfate or cal- uh, lime to help displace sodium on the cation exchange. But again, then you have to have water to move that sodium out of the root zone. Yeah, because if you don't push the sodium out, that, that cation exchange will just bind up in the next one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the best way to break it up is more water. More water. <clears throat> I think one thing that doesn't get talked a whole lot about, but in potatoes, and at least in southeastern Idaho, your fall irrigation going into potatoes is probably about as good a mitigator that you have for salt as, as anything else, and, and followed closely by how you till in the fall. And our guys that deal with really bad salt issues are deep, deep ripping in the fall. And then if they've got wheel lines, they're going 20-hour sets and, you know, moving once a day, obviously, and and getting across in a couple of weeks and putting out as much volume of water as they can on in the fall to really push those salts down and then hope that you have enough winter moisture to maintain that, that salt level down out of the root zone. Are you doing anything like that yourself, going to have your fall watering program? Uh, you know, it depends on the fall. We try to water as much as we can, you know, really soak it up good and work good. Like I, I agree with these guys. It starts in the fall. If you're doing, I mean, you're trying to do things now, but you're just trying to pick catch up. It's just the fall really helps, and we had good, some good moisture last fall. It yeah. really helped out. I think it helped us a lot. And you know, each year is different. Each year is a different challenge. So, mm-hmm. I, fall watering when I was doing it always made a gigantic difference. And actually, it was probably my favorite time to irrigate because if you did happen to have a problem with your pivot, you could at least get to it. Yeah. 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 You didn't have to try and roll a flat tire out through potato vines, you know, or worry about running something over. If you were feeling particularly lazy, you could just drive right up to it and fix it. Pull it out if it's stuck. (laughs) Well, and that happens all the time in the fall, right? Because you're putting on so much water, you know, because you want it to push 
down. And the only way to do that is to go slow enough, which means it just gets wetter and wetter and wetter. And then next thing you know, you have stuck pivots, especially if you're in a field where it doesn't move through very quickly. I mean, it was longer ago now than I would care to admit, but I remember there was one summer, for some reason, every pivot we had just kept getting stuck. I felt like I spent all summer long getting pivots unstuck. Mm -hmm. So being able to just pull a pivot out instead of having to go out with a shovel and hope that you can get it to work before everything timed out would that's the nice thing about the fall. Yeah. So, uh, so you say like in the fall, you, you see people doing 20 hour sets with hand lines or wheel lines. Uh, is anybody around here moving to anything like drip? Are you seeing any drip irrigation in the area or not with potatoes in the rotation because you're, you're going you through and aggressively, aggressively tilling so much that it, it caused such a mess, you know, and the fields that have too much salt buildup, are you seeing anybody think about it? The challenge, the challenges don't go away. Um, years ago, I was in uh, Arizona looking at some hay fields down there on drip, and it was interesting that where those drip lines were, the, the hay was fine, but they were 14 inches apart, and so that water had to move in between. So then the salt would accumulate in the, in between those drip rows, and the hay was actually dead in between the drip rows. Because the salt was so high. Because the salt was so high. What about flood irrigation off canals and whatnot? It works great. It's just it's such a tremendous volume of water. I mean, that'd be the best way to mitigate salt. It would be flood irrigation if you could, but uh, not an option in a drought year either. No. And and quite honestly, with with just general mitigation that, that growers are trying to implement anyways, there's there's less and less flood all the time because you just don't have that basin of water to pull from. And I've seen more and more flood irrigation tubes on Facebook for sale this year than I remember <laughs> seeing in a long time. Yeah. Can't figure out who's going to buy them, but I keep seeing them for sale. <laughs> yeah. Just new post after new post. Flood irrigation tubes for however many dollars yeah. whoever's selling them thinks they're worth right now. Yeah. Makes me think a lot of them are going to go to the aluminum scrap uh, pile. Unfortunately, yeah. probably yeah. so. So, I, so we've established that there's a bad drought going on, coming up, however you want to look at it. We're right in the middle of it. How do you plan to irrigate through a drought like that, knowing that if you don't irrigate enough, you're going to end up with bad salt buildup. If you don't irrigate enough, you're not going to have a crop. So you have that to consider. How do you plan on potentially getting your water cut off by your canal company or your water rights or whatever they'd be like, is there, how do you try and work around that? You know, I, I think the, the best method, if you know you're in a deficit situation is to just deficit irrigate. Um, and then that crop adjusts to what it has to work with. That doesn't mean you're going to have a great quality or great yield, but if you can say, okay, I have, this is my, my bucket of water. I'm going to use that judiciously throughout the year instead of burning through it by the 1st of August and then the canal company's all out and you've still got 30 days of irrigation left. But if you can just say, okay, I have, I've, I've got to cut back 10%, yes, it's going to be dry, but that's all we can do. Your crop is going to respond better than that, better to that than watering it just like you normally would until you run out of water. Have you seen anybody plant fields or are you seeing anybody plant fields that they know could get the water cut off midway through the year in June. Like if water gets tighter than predicted. 
Don't have anything that's quite that bad. I wouldn't say. I think growers that are on the canal are have already made the decision, and obviously potatoes are in the ground now. Mm-hmm. But made the decision to grow shorter, um, shorter varieties, shorter day varieties. So a ninety day Norcota versus a hundred and ten day Norcota kind of variety. So they're and and planted those first. You know, with the idea that hey, we're going to do everything we can on our end to to accelerate the timeline on the maturity of these potatoes. Have you seen anybody move to even shorter season by going to like a colored variety or anything like that? Because some of those yellow varieties are reds or fingerlings you can get in 60 days. Have sure. you seen anything like that? I mean, but you I know then you end up in, you could potentially harvest them in August when it's 105 degrees, which doesn't work. But have you seen anybody try and figure out how to make that one? If, if they have an end use for them, that's, that's the trouble. That's a market that's uh, somewhat of a finite market. Um, and, and if, if you don't have a home for those potatoes, they're really not worth a lot if, if you can get rid of them. That's, that's the trouble. It's nice that they finish early, but you do have to have a home for them. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody could just sell everything they grew every year and then it wouldn't matter? <laughs> yeah, right out of the field. <laughs> I can't remember who I heard say it however long ago, but there's nobody better at fixing a really good price than a farmer. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> We'll fix ourselves right into the poorhouse, right? Yep. So you haven't seen anybody plan on having a field or two that might need to get shut off, but you have seen a move to shorter season varieties. What about different types of crops in general? So instead of doing potatoes, have you seen anybody switch from potatoes to something that might use less, like uh, barley that's even shorter season? Sure. Or, uh, plan on growing like a dry, dry farm type of crop instead? I would say almost generally growers, if they had the option, especially with prices the way they are in the small grains markets right now, if they had the option, they rotated towards small grains on their canal fields where, like say, where it was an option. There's certainly fields that are on canals that are definitely going to have potatoes on them and are potentially going to be shorted. But I would say that in general, the growers that we work with, they did what they could to change their rotations away from those canal fields. The small grain market's doing pretty well right now, it's, what I understand. Yeah. yeah it's Something really... about global conflict is driving prices <laughs> on that high, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yep. So what do you think will be the things to watch for this year compared to last year for water and crop prices and all that sorts of stuff? Is there anything that you'd recommend people look at? Is there anything you're looking at? Well, I think you always want to maximize what you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you want to cheapen anything up too much because it is worth, it's going to be worth it. But yet, I don't think you can go overboard. It just makes good economical sense. But I think you have to just make a balance of, you know, this year, especially if I invest a little more this year, I think you're going to get a higher reward where some year it's it's like, it's not even worth, I don't care what my yield is. I'm not going to make money no matter what. I think this year you got a chance. So get the best crop you can available. Well, you're still, you know, don't go crazy, but you still have to be economical, uh, sound about it. But I think this year you can get a return, but, you know, so be a little mindful. Maybe I can do a little, spend a few more dollars and I think you'll be able to get a higher return for sure this year. And then you have to remember too, at the end of the season, you might be short on water. So let's figure out, especially on your small grain crop, maybe you're just trying to water it up until you're out and then you're going to be you know you're going to be a week shorter of water than you normally would so what can you do in the meantime to get up to that point and maximize your yield um potatoes you're just gonna to have to just do everything you can to get that crop um you've already got so much invested in that crop 
you know, you know that before oh, yeah, before you can plant. Yeah, before it's you plant terrifying. Yeah. yeah, by the time you yeah. have just the seed on yeah. on your farm and then and your so, fertilizer commitment, it's like rolling those dice is yeah. not that fun, no. really. And so by then you're committed. So by then, you obviously, you have to just make sure everything's in line, everything's in check. You're not you're not going crazy. If you need something here, put it on. If you're not, like let's get by without it. Um, you know, same with alfalfa. We're looking at our hay crops, trying to just maximize the return on that. Just what can we do? Make sure we have a good crop, but what can we do to, to save a little bit too on hay? And, we, and like crop rotation mentioned earlier, we planted some oats in some of our fields just to try to short some water down. We Last fall, we planted a lot of our canals in winter wheat because even last fall, the prices were good, and they've only got up since just to, to know that these canals are going to be short on water. Let's, let's plant a grain crop on it. So, I think one of our challenges every year is we, we try to solve the previous year's problems in this current year. You know, we, we look at everything through the lens of last year, and we can't do that because this crop is coming out much slower. Uh, it, it's going to be more prone to crop injury, whether it be herbicide injury from uh, from our pre or pre-emergent supplied herbicides. I think we'll see more injury from from Prowl and Sencor and all those products that we use, uh, and then just realizing that it's going to be a little more stressed initially until we get up and, and going and and adjust to what we see the weather doing to us or, or the, the water that we have. Uh, that's the challenge every year is is how do we address this year's problems because we don't know what they are yet. <clears throat> uh, and they're going to be totally different. Yeah, because last year ended up being basically a shortage of sunlight was one of the biggest issues we ran into from the what the Idaho Oregon border more or less all the way through here because sure. all the wildfires from last year and coupled that with record heat and I yeah. think that was for me young guy in the industry I've always liked water liked or weather excuse me mm-hmm. like water too but always enjoyed watching weather but I I didn't quite understand just how much heat could affect the crop you know we saw last year some places lose fifty plus sacks an acre off their average just because they could not keep up with the heat. And, mm-hmm. and last year it was the race to roll closure. And this year we're losing that race right now because we, we don't have potatoes out of the ground yet. And because it's been so cool. Because it's been so cold. And yeah. so I think mm-hmm. trying to compare last year and this year is, as of today, very polar opposites and, and going to take two different management strategies. Right. Last year was pretty warm and sunny yeah. early in the year. Yeah. Everybody got yeah. in pretty early. Everything went pretty well in the spring because it wasn't super wet. It was a dependable weather pattern in the spring, which is yeah. not normal. Then this year we end up with the opposite, cold, mm-hmm. wet, really windy. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting spring. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And if we're already behind on emergence and we try and have the rows closed, you know, what, sometime in June? That you would, know, depending yeah. on where you're at, obviously, the further north you go, the later in the year it gets but yeah it all makes a giant difference yeah so is there anything you're trying to impress on your on your customers that you do consulting for to try and get them to think ahead on for this year is there anything you're looking at changing to try and make sure you're ready for it if it shows up Uh, cool wet conditions stress crops tend to lead to more disease pressure mm-hmm. uh, even in fields that are treated with rhizoc products we could see some additional rhizoc and cool wet slow to emerge we have fields that crops that have been in the ground since the fourth of 
April are potatoes, and they're still not through the ground yet. We're we're a ways into it, and yeah. they even they're going to be coming out of the ground more stressed and, and like I said, more prone to disease early on. So, yeah, they were planted that long ago. They're still not on the ground. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. that's six yeah. weeks. That's scary. Yeah, yep. and they may have at least another week, depending on what the weather does to us before they get there. So. Yeah, the, the, those crops will be a little more stressed. We just need to be wise in what we do, not overwater, not underwater. And kind of the same thing you try to do every year is manage the demand of the crop uh, with the tools you have available. Is there anything you've got in mind for this year to try and stay ahead of? Oh, it's kind of the same thing. We just, I mean, we, especially these guys are so good. We meet weekly, bi-weekly. We're already calling, talking about checking the fields, even though there's not a whole lot to check, but we can check seed spacing, see if they're sprouting already. Just so we know what we what's going to come up the week ahead and um, what we're, what we're going to need to do. And so we're not going to wait until we need to do it. We're, we should be able to know what we need to do by the time it comes to do it. So when you get out there and you're looking at stuff right now, what are you looking for in particular? Where everything where not much is through if it's through. There again, um, stem health you know is a big thing right now. Um, one thing I've noticed just digging around this week in potatoes, the potatoes that are coming are a little bit stemmier this year, which is fairly common for a cool wet spring. Um, so we know that we have a potential for having higher set numbers. Uh, the, the concern there is, do we have the irrigation to finish those higher set numbers? Um, and uh, anyways, unfortunately, not a ton that we can do right now to, to manage those things but just being conscious and aware of of like what my dad said what, just being conscious of where we're at crop growth stage wise the disease pressures that we're more than likely going to be contending with and there again I think a lot of those decisions and, and a lot of our growers have put themselves in the best place possible to contend with those diseases because we've we've done fungicides in furrow we've done premium products on seed treatments things like that so I think growers like you said, have already put a ton of investment into this crop and, and doing what they can to put their best foot forward, but just know that it could be a challenging year as it relates to disease. What do you think you'll be looking for in three weeks in that soil profile? As by then, we should have spuds that are through. Sure. Theoretically, using water, at least. It'll probably, hopefully, be warmer because we'll be into June. Mm-hmm. Probably still be windy because we do live in Idaho. <laughs> but what will we be looking at, you know, that the early part of June, early to mid part of June. Uh, of course, any, any time we go out in the field and dig a plant and look at it, we look at the condition of the seed piece. Uh, and we could see more seed piece decay this year. We're looking at the health of the stem. Do we have rhizoc issues? Because there are things that we can do in season if we have to, to, to rescue a, a, a rhizoc problem. And then just looking at the general health of the crop uh, and then just trying to match inputs. Water especially is critical early on that we're not overwatered or underwatered. And That's true. You do end up with more seed piece decay the longer that emergence takes, the longer that plant's mm-hmm. relying on that seed piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the rhizoc, the water, which is going to be as big an issue this year as it's ever been. And Colby addressed stem number. You know that that's largely established by the time that plants that high. We know how many stems we're going to have, mm-hmm. and just like you said, how many mouths you're going to have to feed under that hill, and, and whether you have the season and the water. We can always pour the fertilizer to them. That's that's not a problem. But if you you have to match that with the season and the water. Yeah, I was going to say there again a, a lesson that that some growers learned last year that if you fertilize last year like you would normally. You, 
you'd probably over-fertilize by upwards mm -hmm. of 30% because of the heat, because those plants just weren't utilizing specifically nitrogen last year in the heat. Um, and, and I think delayed tuber set in some situations because of that. Um, From what I understand, there's a number of people saw sets just dropped off their crops too because of the heat. Yeah, Russell Burbank north of Blackfoot was mm -hmm. a scary crop to grow last year because there were some fields that didn't establish tubers till the end of July. And that that was terrifying. Yeah, that'd have you losing sleep, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of money to throw at something that's not going to end up with anything underneath it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So potato plants are pretty amazing. They can compensate in, in the right circumstances. We just unfortunately didn't have them. You know, if it would have been cooler in July, but it wasn't, and, and August was really hot. You know, but you can see potatoes can do pretty amazing things when they decide it's time to make make potatoes. But we just didn't have the conditions last year. I was kind of been amazed because I've seen potatoes like, I mean, obviously you go to plant right, you end up with chips because. It comes out of your piler before you can throw it in your planter or whatever, mm -hmm. and you take your chips and you throw them away, and you'll have potatoes growing out of that. <laughs> and they do great. You don't water them, but they're there. They're growing, going really great. And then you have a field that just might not look so hot, and you're mm -hmm. trying to grow those ones. Yep. It's like, or you have volunteer potatoes come up in your wheat or your barley yeah. or your alfalfa, <laughs> and you're trying to kill them, and you can't get them to die. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't do your fertilizer just right on your actual field of potatoes, it looks like they're just going to lay over and give up. Yeah. So, um, Is there anything you would recommend people watch for this year outside of what we've already discussed, just based on what we could be facing this year? I think we've talked about the increase in weed pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's going to be, it could be a real issue. Just a, a cool, wet years tend to have higher weed pressure. And that would make the water problem even, even higher. worse. Even yeah. worse, yeah. 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 Um, cool, wet springs, disease pressure. And I think we've you know, addressed that at least to some extent. Uh, diseases early on could be a, a bigger problem. Um, we don't know. Late blight hasn't reared its head too much in the last few years, but uh, it, it could come back pretty easily. Well, usually if it does, it means it's because it's really wet. So, I mean, that would <laughs> yeah. be a little yeah. upside, right? <laughs> might, might be the one good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes paying for light, late blight chemical, but if it shows up, it's because it's wet. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's that. I think, you know, temper that just a touch. I mean, it's not like it'd make yeah, me happy to now. pay for it, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, jeez. Oh, well, I appreciate you guys coming in. It's been a good discussion. It has been Lots yeah. of stuff to think about going forward through the year. Makes me personally glad I don't grow potatoes anymore. <laughs> but you got another headache story. Yeah, now, so. I know we here at Spudnik will be here to help you do whatever we can. Yeah. So look forward to working with you guys. So yeah. Yeah, appreciate you coming in. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Sure thing, guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.